You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. Thank you for joining. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketing director for Studio 420. Today, our guest is Jarrell Wall, CEO of Gentleman Quinn's, home to the high-class big-ass blunt. Jarrell and his partner, Master Bluntador, Austin Flum, are building a luxury brand in Colorado. They met as bud tenders together in 2015 and saw a hole in the market for high-quality blunts. They convinced the dispensary owner to let them test a product using their unique hand-rolled blunts with no trim, no shake, no run, and no tobacco or nicotine. Let's find out how they're building a luxury brand in the Colorado marketplace. Well, Jarrell, thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast. I really appreciate it, and it's been so nice to meet you. Um, and I, I really look forward to kind of digging into uh, your company, Gentleman Quinn's, and uh, hearing more about that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So why don't we just get started with um, your background and how you met your partners? How did you all decide to start uh, Gentleman Quinn's? A hundred percent. I will start by saying, you know, I've listened to every episode you guys recorded. So I love the podcast so far. Hopefully I could be a good piece that's building towards what you guys got going on. Uh, so I'll start here. Gentleman Quinn's a uh, blunt company where a marijuana manufacturer that specializes in pre-rolls. My general background is in television. I was a sound designer, video editor, television producer for almost every cable network uh, from Colorado and Atlanta. Uh, I was able to get into the industry. One of my buddies who got married moved to Colorado and back in 2012. I went to college with his wife. So they moved out here. I had the opportunity to move. And when I did, I had opportunity to just have a part-time job. So they encouraged me, hey, get your uh, ma- your marijuana badge, employee badge. You can get some money on the side, get into the industry. So they helped me get a part-time job at a small dispensary named Cronorado Medical back in 2014 in South Denver. So I was able to start working there, and that's kind of where I met my my soon-to-be partners. My partner, Austin, uh, was a general manager there for, you know, a bunch of years, so he had a lot of insight in the med- in the medical market as well as metric and things like that. And who would become Gentleman Quinn's was a bud tender. Um, we all just kind of worked together a good bit, uh, you know, learned the industry under Austin. <laughs> and, you know, I was there doing marketing uh magazine stuff, uh, doing magazine ads, social media posts and whatnot for this dispensary. But what I quickly realized was a lot of the propaganda that was funneled to us in the South in Atlanta before I moved out here uh, on Reddit and on the websites and whatnot showed about a bunch of products that didn't really exist. Uh, Vending machine products or even blunt products. And you come out here and you realize it was so early. Recreation was uh, starting the first year I moved out here. So it was so early, a lot of different products didn't exist. Pre-rolls were just kind of really in the infancy, so there were a lot of low-quality pre-rolls or just store-brand pre-rolls that was just using their own flour as an additional uh, revenue source. But no real blunts, no real, you know, you had some Canagars that were really expensive, but nothing that really uh, was ubiquitous around the industry. So uh, 
my business partner, Austin, or the manager of the time, Austin, uh, and I sat down and we thought, what could bring more folks into the dispensary as opposed to, you know, this is the medical age. So there were dispensaries everywhere. The rules were a little bit more lax in terms of who could start these businesses. So it was metal, medical dispensaries in a lot of different places. Uh, Austin and I sat down and said, you know, we could definitely use a pre-roll product to bring folks in, just make a differentiator between other dispensaries. Uh, but we kind of let it sit. We didn't really think much of it until Austin who would soon to be Gentleman Quinn and I went to Boulder for uh, a team building exercise. We just kind of went out to Boulder to kind of see it. Uh, we're, we were all outside of Gentleman Quinn. We were all uh, transplants. So we just went out there to smoke a little bit. We went to Table Mesa, overlooked the city and whatnot. And it was kind of late at night. We were all like, uh, you know, GQ, go ahead and uh, roll us a, a blunt or something like that. And he rolled this crazy fat blunt that I'd never seen before uh, coming from an illegal state you'd have to hold on to an eighth for about a month. So it was no opportunities for us to roll a two gram, three gram blunt or anything like that. So when I seen it, I was like, I'm not seeing anything like this in a dispensary. It'll be awesome for us to kind of try this out at the dispensary where we all worked at. So we had a meeting with, uh, you know, soon after that, we had a meeting with the owners of the dispensary. We asked them, hey, would you mind us trying this out? You know, you guys providing the weed and we provide everything else in terms of packaging and things like that. And they went for it. They were like, you know, why not? So we tried it out. Uh, Austin was able to, you know, all the cool things you see about the product, I was able to execute on because of my uh, design background, graphic design background. But a lot of the ideas came from Austin in terms of his insight of the industry. So he thought to put it in a cigar type box and whatnot. So what we have now is kind of where we want it to be early on. It was kind of more of a pencil box, but where we are now is kind of more of a cigar style box. So he kind of came with that idea. And right before we were about to come out with him, he was like, hey, we should just name him the high class big ass blunt. And I was like, this is perfect. I love that <laughs> so, name. I love it. The high class big ass blunt is absolutely. hysterical. And we wanted it, to name the product uh, after the blunt roller, which was Quinn, Gentleman Quinn. So we named it after him. So it, it all kind of came together at once. Uh, and that's generally the inception of Gentleman Quinn's. So you were saying that the difference in Atlanta or it, because it was so big? Yeah, because Colorado, obviously, Colorado, California, Washington at the time, they all became legal in their own different ways. So it was easier to get a lot of weed. Uh, you know, having an eighth now is not a big deal. You know, anybody could buy an eighth. But from an illegal state, you know, Austin was from Kansas. I'm from Indiana, but I went to college in Atlanta and got my first job there. So, you know, it was hard to find weed, one. And if you did find weed, you're going to hold on to it for as long as you can. So when it comes to, like, pre-rolls, that's the way I usually like to smoke weed, either a joint or, you know, a blunt. You know, we'd have super-duper small blunts to look like little pencils, <laughs> you know, something really small. So, you know, it, it was kind of a luxury for us to even get one when I was younger. So coming to Colorado, Gentleman Quinn, he uh, was a native of Colorado. So he was used to always having an abundance of weed. So him and his friends, they just roll these fat blunts all the time. I never seen anything like that. So I was like, this would be a perfect opportunity to put something new on the shelves that isn't there. Oh, got it. And now aren't blunts typically tobacco with? Absolutely. Okay. So, so what we eventually found out was one of the reasons a lot of dispensaries didn't even try it was because of tobacco, which was expressly forbidden within the rules, uh, recreational and medical. So what we ended up doing was we went through 
going through a Rolodex online, finding what different alternatives there there were to consider itself a different pre-roll. We didn't want to use just regular papers. We wanted something a little bit more weighty that would not burn the flour so fast. So we ended up finding uh, cannabis mesh wraps that was just made from cannabis uh, fan leaves. A company in California was doing something like that, and they were completely green. We ended up finding the banana palm uh, blunt cast and whatnot from Europe, and then we eventually settled on a hemp wrap. Uh, we found a, a product that was in California. We thought it was a manufacturer in California. It turned out that they got their products from other places. We went down the rabbit hole of trying to find that manufacturer, and we ended up finding our own manufacturer, so we have our own completely custom hemp wraps. That's why you get the, uh, the hemp stock color, which is brown, and, you know, you're not going to find what we have on Amazon or anything like that. Mm. Oh, and then hemp wrap too. That's just so much better. So, okay. So you do not have tobacco. In Absolutely your not. Okay. It's different from a joint because of the size. Is that pretty much? Size, absolutely. You ha you have a common color uh, with cigars. What you usually have is a brown tobacco wrap. We have a blunt brown hemp wrap. So it looks pretty uh, common to folks that are used to blunts. Uh, like I said, it doesn't burn as fast as a joint. And we use whole whole butt flour. So, you know, Which just a small. If you're Absolutely. Stuff that much cannabis into it. <laughs> you don't want to waste it. Um, what, what is the connection between cigars and the blunt is in you, you keep mentioning cigars. Like, is that the way you're positioning it or? Yeah. So obviously, uh, before legalization, you try to smoke weed, whichever way was convenient. You know, I've had experiences when I was younger using Bible paper because that's all I had. Uh, but cigars, uh, Swisher Sweets, Backwoods, all of those things were common in, in gas stations. So folks would just grab those, take the tobacco out and just put marijuana in. So that's kind of a common thing within the culture of marijuana. So that's kind of where we kind of positioned ourselves when we, when we thought of this product. Austin was saying that, you know, this is kind of a, a, a product that's not here. It should be one of the best products in the industry because, you know, what we saw was a lot of goo pens, you know, concentrates and edibles were the biggest, uh, names in marijuana when I was in the industry. And I was like, you know, you would think that it'd be a joint, a pack of joints or a blunt would be the biggest product and it wasn't. So we wanted to position our product in a way that would set itself apart. So we thought of doing it in the realm of a high-end cigar. And that's, you know, eventually what led us to our first angel investor who was, uh, he's aficionado in cigars. So we were able to double down on the aesthetic. Mm, okay. And who's your competitors in the marketplace within Colorado and outside of the state? Now there's a ton. When we came into it, there was nobody. Uh, there was some some Canagars, which uh, they're a little bit different in terms of they're like 10 grams. They may cost you 200, 300 bucks. So there were some options like that out there. But in terms of a blunt type product or even a branded pre-roll joint wasn't really in the industry at the time because, you know, they were just a lot of these dispensaries are vertically integrated. So they have to make their own product, uh, make their own flour, make the product packaging and everything and whatever's left. They want to make some money off of it. So they just grind it up and put it in uh pre-roll joint tubes or something like that. So that's what was in the industry. Uh, but now you have a lot more competitors. I I'd say, you know, a lot of these 
you have a lot more brands. I wouldn't say there's a lot of lot of manufacturers like us. We're a specific fully licensed manufacturer only for pre-rolls. So a lot of folks haven't gotten to that place yet. But you definitely have some OPCs that would brand things by their own name, uh, ABC Dispensary, Blunt, ABC Dispensary Joint, things like that. Or California, you have your Bear Woods, you have your Liara Canagars, things like that. Colorado, you have uh, Toast, you have Rastaranis, you have all sorts of different things, but we're the best. <laughs> of course. So so Canagars, the term Canagars, that's a thing? Yeah, Canagars, uh, they resemble more of what an actual fat cigar would look like. Uh, obviously, when you think about marijuana and tobacco, the difference is the psychoactivity of it, obviously, uh, you want to get stoned from marijuana. You don't really need as much of marijuana as you would need for a cigar. You know, you have cigars that are like 15 grams. The price is completely opposite, obviously. Uh, price for tobacco, I couldn't quite say, but I'd say a gram of tobacco is probably in the cents. Well, a gram of marijuana is going to be a couple dollars and a pound of marijuana is going to be even higher than that. So Canagars try to mimic the size of a cigar. They use uh, fan leaves and whatnot to wrap themselves around, but they're really, really expensive just based on the economics of making them. They're not really scalable, so you may see one at a dispensary here and there, but they're not very common. And for the most part, uh, how could I say this without... Uh, upsetting folks but really like I said when it comes to joints uh, these products are like really low quality in terms of flour concentrates because they're trying to make it economically work for us oh. we use we use the full bud we don't use any trim we don't use any fan leaves we don't grind up any nonsense because my business partners and myself we are marijuana smokers we want to make sure that the way that we smoke marijuana is going to be the way that we present it to other folks that we're selling it to so that's what i kind of noticed when it comes to some of these other products a uh, little bit low quality they don't really either they don't get me high particularly they don't get me stoned i may get a headache from it the taste isn't really there Every Gentleman Quinn's product, we guarantee that the taste and the potency is going to be where it needs to be. Mm. And so do you work with one grower, multiple growers? Do you personally go out there and trim the buds off? And how, how does that work? <laughs> so I mean in short, yes. Uh, we, well, in short, yes and no. Our initial business plan was to go to every different OPC cultivator in the state, try to find the best buds and bring them in because we have the opportunity to do that by having a marijuana infused product license. We didn't have to be completely vertically integrated to have our own grow. So that gave us the opportunity of the, the, the bright light over our head to say, well, we don't have this overhead, so let's just use it to our advantage. So when we initially started, uh, when we got fully licensed in 2019, we went to about three or four different growers. We sat down, talked to the owners uh, or the directors of the cultivations. Uh, they gave us strands, we tried them out and we brought them in. Uh, but since testing's changed, for pre-rolls, we wanted to make sure that we took a more holistic approach. Uh, so we, the long story is one of my buddies uh, who was a mentor of mine's in television, uh, his wife was my mentor in television. They moved to Colorado. He eventually became a head grower of an OPC or cultivation that we work with now. So we have a, a shorthand because I've known these guys for more than 10 years. You know, they helped me in my previous career. So to kind of see him become a head grower in uh, Boone, Colorado, we were able to work with those guys. And we've been with those guys for about a year now. So we're able to go down there. Uh, obviously, when it comes to marijuana, 
everybody's palate is different. So it's going to hit everybody differently. So what I try to do is anybody that's in the company working with us, my business partners, or anybody that's, let's say we have a roller in for a month or two, we bring everybody in the company down. If they can come down, we all sit at the table, talk to the head grower. Uh, we look at the bud. We He gives previously we went there about a week ago we had about 10 different flat, uh, strains we tried them all out we talked about you know the phenotypes we talked about how they were grown we looked at them uh the bud we looked at the grows and whatnot to make sure of uh you know any issues in terms of uh, discoloration and things like that uh and we just were able to just try them out and just kind of come to a consensus with the company uh in terms of which ones we wanted to pick in pull out there. So that's kind of our, our hand selected process. Just is it always changing or did you decide on, hey, these are the three that we like and how does that work? Yeah, we try to rotate our menu seasonally. So a blunt you may see in December, you're not going to see that in the summer. A lot of the times we try to uh, look at the market and see which ones sell the best and may stick with those. But just recently, we want to bring strains to the Denver market that aren't commonly here. A lot of dispensaries, uh, since they're vertically integrated, they have to use different phenotypes that they know grow at a certain yield. So you may go to a dispensary and all year round, they have that exact same strain. So because of that, we also notice within the market, that's an opportunity to bring different flavors up from different parts of the state. So as we're working with a, uh, a cultivator that's far south in Colorado, they bring new phenotypes all the time. So we are like, well, let's just kind of switch the menu up. So that's what we're doing right now. So what we have coming out uh, here within the next few weeks is not going to be what you've seen back in the fall. Got it. Oh, that that would I think that would make it exciting if I was a frequent buyer of your brand, knowing Absolutely. that you hand pick it you go you choose you smell you look and and kind of wondering ooh, what's gonna be the next season what are they gonna bring out yeah it's good I think it's yeah. <laughs> absolutely i like that well, like i said we're, we're all uh you know we're, we're all consumers but i notice uh in a lot of these lobbying meetings or a lot of the meetings when it comes to stakeholders in the industry some marijuana owners uh, that own dispensaries or cultivations or anything, a lot of them don't smoke weed. A lot of them don't live in Colorado. Uh, a lot of them aren't really connected to marijuana the way, you know, some folks that smoked marijuana before it was illegal are into it. So my business partners all have the commonality where we really, you know, care about the taste and things like that. And like I said, uh, my most common way of smoking, regardless if I had this company, would be a joint. So when I'm buying joints from dispensaries and I'm noticing that, you know, if you open them up, it's not really all that green or if it, it just doesn't taste that good, it doesn't look or smell that good, you relight it and it just tastes like ash. You know, these are the experiences that we didn't want to continue on, the trends we didn't want to continue on. So we wanted to make a product that we'd sell to ourselves. So that's kind of where the, the antithesis of it, where the, where it all came from. <laughs> important. Everything that you just said would make me turn to your brand. So you said that you have a license that it's a product infused license. It's funny because I don't think of yes. Luntz as product infused. We didn't either when we first started. So when we were at the dispensary, uh, we tried the product out. Since we were at a vertically integrated medical dispensary, we were able to use a flower and just put it on their shelves. When we were selling them, uh, we did limited releases early on. And then as they were selling out, other product uh, manufacturers would come in because they'd have to sell it uh, in store, you know. Now you could just do it online. But back then you have people that started a, a goo pen company, an O-Pen, or started a concentrate company. They'd have to come in, bring the price sheet in, and then they just, uh, you know, try to sell it to the dispensary and the butt tenders. So one of them, one day a guy came in 
and he saw our product on the shelves and he's like, I never heard of those. He tried one and he asked for us to have a meeting. Long story short, it was something to the effect of him wanting to bring us under his license. So that gave us an idea of how it all worked. Uh, it didn't really go to where we wanted it to because we just had some some fundamental disagreements. But it gave us the understanding of how to get it done. Uh, we talked to the mayor around this time. We asked him a lot of questions, even though they didn't answer a lot of questions. You know, you just have to ask them in sparse ways. But eventually, you know, we got the understanding that in order to make a product of any type independently, you need a marijuana-infused product license. Now, a lot of different states don't have the you know, small license numbers that we have, they have more flushed out licenses, uh, you know, things like that to make it a little bit easier to get into the industry. But that's kind of what we needed to do. And, you know, since we didn't have to bring a lot of machinery in, our main product, the high class big ass blunt is all hand rolled completely. So we're, we were able to, you know, get away with not having a ton of overhead. So that's kind of what we got the idea of doing it with that license. And like I said, we're not licensed under anyone else. We do it all independently ourselves. So you started out basically kind of selling it illegally, the blunts, and then you discovered, hey, I could get this type of license and you went for the license. And now is that kind of how it all happened? So they were sold legally in the medical dispensary dispensary we were in because it was all the medical dispensaries, marijuana and, you know, was oh, good to go within there. Them. Absolutely. We just uh, rolled them. Gotcha. Guy came in and just asked us, uh, will we want to go under his license? And then kind of just gave us an idea of how MIPS work. Uh, but it just didn't work out. But like I said, he just gave us understanding how to do it ourselves. Well, that was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? We didn't know it at the time. <laughs> yeah, no, great luck on that. What is your operation exactly? Do you just bring people in and roll at the end of each season? Or are you are you in there rolling? Like, how does that work? Do you have a bunch of people? So I'm not in there rolling. Uh, actual, the man we named Gentleman Quinn is the main roller right now. So every blunt you get is from Gentleman Quinn. He's the one to develop the style. So he is the main roller. Uh, we do have some folks we bring in at a, at a part-time basis to help out with uh, you know, volume when we have high volume and things like that. And going forward, when we get more investment, we bring in folks in full-time to help us with the rolling. And we do have... Uh, the plans to have some more uh, scalable, autonomous products that can be done by machine, but our pre-roll uh, things that would just say Gentleman Quinn's on it, they'll always be hand-rolled. Absolutely. Okay. So but for me, for instance, uh, as a CEO, I do a lot of the compliance work, uh, a lot of the graphic design and uh, the creative control that comes from me. So anything you see on our website, things like that. Early on, we definitely had a lot of help from a lot of great artists, but lately we've honed it all in. So I do all the graphic design and the photography myself. So just the creative design, I do that work. Uh, just the business facing stuff, myself and my business partner, Austin Flum does it. All right, so you and Austin kind of t or share the responsibility of like everyday operations and, Absolutely. and things like that. Okay, gotcha. And then the third partner, who's what is what does the third partner do? Is that the so our third partner is our angel investor. His name is Jeff. He uh, is basically part mentor and part, uh, you know, a good part of it is mentoring. A good part of it is kind of helping us with the small business sides of things and helping us in some of the big meetings we have and, you know, generally helping us with sourcing and things like that. So that's the third owner partner. But mm -hmm. Gentleman Quinn himself, the roller, is the man that actually does the rolling. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in your operations now? So marijuana is a fickle beast. It's a, a lot of different things that you wouldn't know unless you were in it. And that's why I'm 
always happy to talk to folks about the industry because uh, you don't get a lot of owners speaking. You don't get a lot of folks that are really in the minutia of it that talks about some of the issues. But one of the main issues that needs to be always said is financing. You know, we don't have a lot of options. We don't have banks. We don't have uh, ways to work around dealing with private equity and whatnot. Uh, it, it's just a big headache because it's a lot of barriers of entry. You know, when you start out trying to get a license, you have to find the facility first, and then you have to go through the licensing process, which could take three to five years. It took us, it took us a few years while having to pay rent, having to navigate, dealing with uh, different business, dealing with different government uh, entities that at the time didn't speak to one another. The building department didn't have a easy line to the zoning department. The zoning department didn't have an easy line to the fire department, so on and so forth. It's a little bit easier now, so I'll give Denver a little bit less slack now. But, you know, when we got into it, you know, as everything was so new, it was kind of, that was a tough thing. But then you get into the industry, you finally get a license, and you have to sell your product. So the barrier of entry there is you have to use a lot of these uh, softwares that can autonomously do it without you going into the store. And those cost monthly subscriptions and things like that. Uh, just general basic small business issues marijuana owners have to deal with but we don't have the opportunity to use banks you know we don't have the opportunity to find uh sba loans and things like that so if you can do it it's coming out of shoestring you guys are figuring it out yourself unless you're one of the big mso's or you're somebody that has uh, a lot of money in the family that will want to invest into you when we first got into it it wasn't so easy to have family helping you out because the perception of marijuana wasn't where it is now Right. Does Colorado not have grants set aside? So we don't get a lot of opportunities in that way. In terms of certain grants, like social equity grants, I had the opportunity to work with the city of Denver, state of Colorado, and the governor, Governor Polis's office to help carve out within the structure of uh, revenue, uh, a type of marijuana grant for social equity applicants that's going into effect this year. I'm not going to be available for it because I will be considered something of a legacy business. I'm not social equity because uh, I came before social equity. So it's $4 million in Colorado. Uh, they wanted it to be a couple hundred thousand dollars, but we pushed back. So it's $4 million starting out. It's good. That's awesome. You know, I'm not going to, to squash on that because any cash in the industry is needed uh, for people to start businesses. But that cash is going to go completely really fast. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of a lot of different things where that cash can go to with someone starting a business. But, you know, four million dollars is good. I'm, I'm happy with it. But in terms of someone like myself or someone that already has a dispensary, we have to go through private equity. Oh, so so legacy legacy entrepreneurs are do not get the same absolutely not it's social equity really that's wow. social equity that's Everything starting in 2022 so different. It's so crazy. <laughs> shout out to the office of economic development so they made that happen uh it's, it's getting to where it needs to be but it needs to be more uh the industry needs to have a will to make the industry more equitable and I mean, that's a whole different conversation but you know you yeah. have a, like you said new york has 200 million dollar grants we have $4 million that we had to scratch and claw to get. And, you know, it, it, there's a lot more room to grow. But I tell folks all the time, the, the industry is really early. Uh, we'll see where it, it ends up. But as long as folks are uh, ringing the bell about it, you know, we, we keep the squeaky wheel happening. Something will be done, but we just got to kind of make it happen. Yeah, this, we, stamina, hang in there and just keep trying <laughs> to go forward. I hope it all Absolutely. Works. So I just want to be clear. So you've been in business like officially two to three years. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we got our very first license in 2017, which was a state license. And then we got our final license, which is the city license in 2019. So it took us an additional two years. Well, we started the project in 2015. So technically 2015 to 2019 is when we were in the the role of getting it started, you know, getting uh, everything developed. And then 2019 is when we got a final license where we could sh uh, go out there and sell. And as soon as we got the final license, which was quarter four, 2019, quarter one of 2020, COVID happened. <laughs> so. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> okay. Um, so how many dispensaries are you selling in now? Yeah, we're in a few dispensaries uh, in, in Denver. We were in uh, a few spots in Fort Collins and Garden City. So we're, we're out there. Uh, we're continu con continuously gaining new dispensaries. So you will see on our website where we're at. Uh, at the very moment, so obviously by the time this comes out, we'll have a new run out there. But at the very moment, we're uh, completely sold out, which is a great thing. Uh, we're we're waiting on yeah, we're waiting on uh, our testing. You know, pre rolls have to do testing this year, so we're going out there getting our testing done, and you know, very soon we'll be back on shelves and whatnot. But you know, the winter of 2021 was incredible for us. We made the best sales we we've made thus far and you know the opportunity to speak about the product uh having more publicity about you know we're getting our name out there so what challenges do you find trying to get in dispensaries so are you the one who's um calling on the dispensaries to get your product out there so that is a whole nother conversation uh <laughs> that is a big issue uh but you know when i got when i was when I was initially in the industry, uh, like I said, back in 2014, 2015, you know, doing marketing work and butt tending on the side, you'd see business owners come in to sell their product. They bring in the price sheets. They talk to you directly. Now, because of COVID, uh, there's been opportunities for software companies to come in and say, well, how about we don't do any contact selling? Uh, how about we just put everything on our website and then dispensaries can just buy from there and you just fulfill those orders. Now, obviously, there's still sales positions that are very much necessary. So now we have a, a, a sales a, a saleswoman who is incredible that works for us that, you know, she directs folks to the site where you have all the information, but you still need to make those relationships. But I'd say from 2019 up until this year, my business partner, Austin, and myself, we'd go out to dispensaries ourselves and bring the product in, bring samples in. We'd bring, you know, whatever additional thing we could bring in that would associate with our products to just get people, uh, get people interested in it. So it was a lot of shoestringing us doing everything uh, from making our own packaging, making our own, you know, the production of the product into selling, marketing, everything was all us. Now we're to a place where we can start delegating some of these things off to people who are much better qualified. So we have a salesperson right now who's doing that, who's doing that work for us. But yeah, it, it was a very huge uh, learning experience to how to bring a product like this to market where dispensaries who've been, you know, doing their own thing and making their own products for so long aren't used to someone disrupting the market the way we try to, the way mm. we are doing. <laughs> I know that's one of the problems I see in the vertically integrated model is they, of course, want to sell their own product and they're not going to push it. The bud tenders are going to push their own products and it, it just leaves less room on the shelf for, you know, other products. Uh, I see that as a real big problem in the industry. 
like I said, we can have a larger conversation about <laughs> this, but that is a big issue that I, I, I see. You know, obviously, that's kind of why we wanted to do things the way we do them in terms of the dynamic marketing that we try to do. Uh, we push out there stuff you don't commonly see. When I got into the industry, all you really see in these magazines, which, you know, another issue is one of our main sources of advertising is print marketing. What are we doing? But in the magazine space, you see just weed flowers everywhere, a green cross that says medical here come. You wouldn't see anything that was differentiate that, that would differentiate dispensaries from one another. So when we came in, we started doing the 1950s style uh, kind of animated ads and things like that. Uh, we, we tried to do things a little bit different and, you know, it kind of shocked a few, I wouldn't say it completely shocked a few folks, but it wasn't very common from what they've been doing for the last five or six years. And what I tell folks is, we're not even 10 years in to the legal legal market and Colorado is the most legal market. We're not even 10 years in yet. So for us to have the mindset that well, we know what will work, so we don't want to try anything new is kind of a disservice to the industry and the customers. So what do you mean you do um, animated ads in 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 like magazines? Well, so, yeah, social media. You, you Lately, as we're trying to make sure that we're compliant with state laws and things like that, you really just see our products in very flushed out photography and things like that that look really well. But early on, we wanted to kind of go with the aesthetic of 1950s uh, magazine ads and things like that. You could, if you would go to social media and stuff like that, you could scroll down and see some of our older ads that we made mm -hmm. posters and stuff. We wanted to do things that were a little more dynamic and, you know, that was a little, uh, that was reminiscent of a previous age more or less the way they were trying to the, the way they had the opportunity to be more dynamic back in the 30s 40s and 50s with the tobacco industry but you know now you, there isn't so much of that you know there isn't so much of that really within much marketing at all but within the marijuana industry you wouldn't really see anything that differentiates products between one another that is my other question so how what marketing tactics are you using to drive traffic to your website and to the dispensaries. Yeah, so what we do, uh, the industry has one arm tied behind their back, trying to fight a fight. You know, we can't really market in a lot of really uh, common places. You know, we have issues with social media because we're federally illegal. So you can have a, a social media account that's been around for five years. And, you know, for whatever reason, the algorithm may find your site, may find a keyword, and they may just close your stuff down. So, so far, we're able to use, uh, Magazines, uh, you know, Blizzy Magazine is a pretty good magazine. We've been able to be partners with uh, social media, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, you know, just making different content. And a big portion of that is interacting with the folks that interact with your content, you know, as opposed to just leaving it there and just, you know, you're good to go. We try to make sure we, you know, have conversations with folks about our product. Uh, we ask, we answer questions that may come our way. Uh, we have merch that we give out to folks because we can't really sell it on our website because of, uh, you know, dealing with e-commerce. <laughs> I have a good one. I saw this the other day. Um, you should make uh, branded matches. We're looking at branded matches and branded lighters. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, good. We're right there with you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause I just, I picked up one from um, a brand the other but day. We, like, we, we try to do anything that's available. Uh, uh, we don't stop anywhere. Like we go to whatever events that would have us, uh, whatever marijuana private events or, you know, hospitality events that may be around, uh, whatever avenues are available, we try to use as much as we can, you know, with the funds we could allocate towards it. Mm -hmm. You're, so as far as social media goes, you can't target or do ads, it makes it very difficult because it's a, it's a, a global platform. 
So absolutely. Right. So everything you're putting on social media goes out to the world. You can't just geo target it to Colorado where you could sell your product. So how do you combat that? So you can't geo target towards specific demographics, but there are tools in place that, you know, limit folks that are 21 and under or under 21 from, you know, seeing some of your content. So that's a plus. It helps us be compliant and on the good side of the regulators in the state. Uh, but like I said, you know, you're able to use different hashtags until you get caught. So you're able to use different hashtags that bring traffic to uh, folks that are in your general area. Uh, and, and a lot of it's just uh, just hard work of going out and telling folks about it, you know, going to podcasts like this one, great podcasts such as this, uh, and, and just telling folks about your product and where they could find you at and making your content uh, so dynamic that people will want to come back. You know, we have content and interactions where folks that have been following us for years and whatnot, and they show their products online and, you know, we repost it and things like that. So, you know, it's, 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 it's no shorthands to get things done in the industry, especially for a small manufacturer boutique uh, product like my own, but, you know, we do what we can. And, you know, we know when legalization happens and when a lot more relaxed laws happen, you know, we'll be primed to do more dynamic work in the marketing space. And are you getting more sales? I know you're not in a ton of dispensaries, which you should be in, um, but we'll get there. <laughs> but do you find you do a lot more sales online than you do in the stores? There, um, when it was COVID, you know, we used a few uh, different softwares that would track or allow folks to buy ahead of time and go to the store and pick them up. Now, because you're available to go to stores now without it being a shutdown, people mostly uh, buy in store. Uh, we definitely do get some folks that still do the online work, but for the most part, it, it's what's on the shelf and what catches folks' eyes. Our product... Uh, Packaging is immediately that. We're not going to be like any other product pre-roll that you see on the market. So folks generally uh, see our product, ask about it. And then because we have good relationships with bud tenders, they tell them about it and, you know, it sells out really well. So like I said, we're completely sold out now and we haven't had any problems in stores at all. Any store that we've been into, they've always sold out. It just goes into us selling two dispensaries to put them in stores. How are you... Uh working with those bud tenders. I'm sure you know how to get in on that one since you have come from that world. How are you convincing them or even getting to them to pitch your product and get them to? So uh, the way we interact with bud tenders uh, or anybody that's doing any sales for us, we actually go in and speak to them. We speak to the different owners at dispensaries. We try to make sure we have a presence in dispensaries, uh, give information that would be, you know, vital for the, these guys to sell, these guys and ladies to sell our product. We give merch. We give, uh, we have new strains come out. We give out samples so they can try them themselves. And we really take a strong approach to, having them tell us what issues they may be seeing and how we can uh, evolve our product. And that was a big thing for 2021. You know, we had small, uh, we had small product changes that came directly from folks in the industry that told them, told us what would make things a little bit better for them. So, you know, we definitely try to keep the lines of communication open and, you know, like I said, interact with anybody who's going to be doing any work for us. That's super valuable. But can you imagine every brand in, the, in these dispensaries must want to have the same, uh, you know, FaceTime with these bud tenders and that kind of feedback is priceless. You would think they would. Uh, we know a lot of good folks in the industry that, you know, a lot of good ma manufacturers and whatnot. But at the same time, we also know that 
there are products that are out there that we know that this type of thing sells at a certain cost. So we just put it out there. We don't really do much marketing on it at all. You know, there's a pre-roll or there's a gummy or something like that that's out there that we could just kind of mimic and copy and whatnot, put it in similar packaging, we'll just toss it out there. But for the most part, you know, folks would do really well to interact with bud tenders. There's a lot of turnover in dispensaries and whatnot. So you want to make sure you have a presence with folks that may be new to these dispensaries, maybe new to the industry, and just give them information about your product. Why is there a turnover in dispensaries? I think I've heard that somewhere else. What, what, what is that? Well, I, I, I'm not going to speak for dispensaries. Uh, you know, that's more of a question for those guys. But I'd say, you know, from my experience, you get a lot of, you get a lot of uh, misconceptions of what the industry is. You hear all the time, Colorado made X amount of billions of dollars in the industry. So you think as a worker, you're going to be getting paid a pretty decent amount of living wage or whatever it may be. And a lot of the times that may not be the case. A lot of the times, because dispensaries... Uh, or because a lot of these businesses aren't able to be financed like a real business, a lot of shoestringing happens. So there's a lot of folks that may expect health benefits or may expect uh, stock sharing or something like that with a company that's not available to them right now. So the next dispensary that may pay them a few more dollars, they'll just go to those guys. It, it, that's where a lot of the turnover I see happening. But for the full information, I'd say you have to talk to the dispensary. My staff has been my staff since we started. You know, we did have one uh, a blunt roller that we that's not with us right now. But other than that, you know, everybody is with us. We try to make sure that it's not only the blunt rolling or the business size from gentlemen quins that we entice folks with we try to teach them the industry we bring folks into some of the shareholding meetings just on a you know a, a a basis of just being a fly on the wall to see how the industry works you know i'm really big about that oh i am too i love that that's fantastic that's very valuable to your employees and i'm sure it's appreciated and i've done that myself in past businesses I love to teach and bring them in as if they're part of executive team, really. Absolutely. Uh, like I said, again, the misconception is that we're much further along than we are in the industry. Industry is still very new. Every time another state comes online, there'll be 2012 Colorado. You know, it's a lot to be learned and whatnot, and it's a lot of valuable information that you could pass on to different states if you want to leave Colorado and start something in, let's say, in Arizona, Illinois, or Michigan Michigan, and whatnot. So it's important for folks to understand how the industry works. And to that, understand how legislation works because you get a lot of rules in the industry that really aren't uh, equitable. They're really not uh, well, they, they really don't do a lot of things that can be beneficial towards the industry. So it's important for people to understand what's going on behind the scenes. And that's what I'm really big on because I had a lot of eye-opening experiences, you know, one, starting a business, but two, seeing how the maturation of marijuana is happening in these legislatures. Yeah, very, very important. Um, so I've had you on for a long time, but I, it was so interesting. So I kind of want to wrap it up for you. Absolutely. So much of your time. But I, I, I just want to see what you see for the future of Gentleman Quinn's. And would this include expanding to other states by partnering with growers? And, you know, that's what most people are doing to try to get their brand out there before we go legal. Uh, to try to get some brand recognition once the borders open up. What do you see for your product line and uh, growing to other states? Yeah, so there's there's a lot there. I'd say the most important thing at the moment is making sure that we have a staple in Colorado. 
this year we're making sure that we bring more financing in so we could be uh do more work scale the business up getting more dispensaries market a little bit better bring uh bring workers on and whatnot and you know build the industry from the from the inside of colorado so our, our our main thing is making sure that we have a presence here uh in terms of other states you know we're, we're also always welcome to seeing the 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 conversation about that you know visiting other states you know i just came from illinois my family's in the midwest i'm from gary indiana so i was able to go to chicago and meet some dispensary owners and some uh media outlets out there that are working in the marijuana space but to be totally honest uh we've talked to a few folks that were growers in arizona oklahoma and oregon the industry's so different so really what you end up doing is giving your brand and handing it off to someone that you really don't have a lot of control over so right now our focus is in colorado because we know what the rules and laws are and we know that we can build our quality control here uh when we go to other states we don't want to just hand our products and things off or our logos and packaging off for anybody to do anything with. We're really serious about the boutique feel. We're really serious about the type of flower and things we put in the, in our products. All whole bud, never trim. We're never touching trimming our buds or anything like that or in our blunts. You, you're always going to get the best quality product. Uh, so we, we want to make sure that when we go to these different states that their growing practices are equitable to what's going on in Colorado. We want to make sure that they're testing correctly, that you're not getting pesticides, heavy metals, and random microbials and things like that. So we, we elect to, at the moment for 2022 to kind of wait and see what opportunities are out there. But for 2022, we're a Colorado brand, and you're going to see us in more dispensaries in Colorado. Absolutely. Right. I do see, yeah, that you need to grow your brand in Colorado first because that'll give you a lot of traction and um, leverage to go into these other states and get investors and things like that. So so I guess the next step would be to get more invest, like other investments, Absolutely. investors on board. Is that where you're looking at right now? Get more investment uh, if that if that's uh, a convertible debt note or if that's bringing or giving out some equity from the business, you know, we're open to what that may look like. Obviously, we're not just giving anything away for anything. You know, our nucleus has to stay, stay what it is. And, you know, what we're trying to do within the social equity space, we're trying to do within sort of product, the type of products that we're bringing to market. They have to be that. But, you know, we're definitely looking at bringing more investment into the company just so we can be um, have more of a presence within the industry. Right. Okay, great. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> Wish you best of luck. I'm going to be watching you and I might end up in Colorado. I do have family in Colorado. Come see so us. I... We got a blunt for you. Absolutely. I'm going to come out and try it. It just sounds so good after talking Absolutely. To you. Absolutely. That's the idea. You know, oh, we, yeah. we will hand roll it directly for you. Hand rolled, hemp wrapped, high class, big ass blunts. Love it. We have a great one. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.